Hello and welcome to another episode of the PD Performance Podcast. Today's episode of the podcast is a guest appearance that I did on David Gray's podcast, the DGR podcast, a couple of weeks ago. It was a fantastic conversation, really just a normal conversation that me and Dave would usually have. Dave has seen my growth in the industry from the beginning and we touched on that. We touched on mindset, we touched on running mechanics and what my role entails and then we moved into talking about online business and plans for the future. So a really enjoyable conversation was had as I always have with Dave. I thought it was appropriate that I bring it to you guys as well as to his audience. So hopefully you guys enjoy it too. And if you do enjoy it, please remember to like it, share it and send it. Every single thing except for playing sport and the job that I'm currently doing right now, I was absolutely dog shit at. Everything. Wow. Okay. Everything. Just by never, ever taking any interest or trying to do anything. I think uh, I had a conversation with Kerr, um on my podcast years ago, and it was a very similar setup for me. Like, even a couple of people that I was in school with mentioned it to me. They was like, Jesus, he's kind of like you a little bit, isn't he? And I was like, yeah, it's just memory recall. I find very easy. Like I have like a yeah. verbal memory, yeah. which was really useful in Irish <laughs> exams. Cause like you're just wrote learning everything, you know, mm -hmm. but then I have an analytical brain in that. I don't like wrote learning something if I don't understand it. So I have to piece it apart so that I can, then put it out there which is useful mm. um switching off the analytical brain is is another story like mm. i realized relatively i kind of already always knew i was just a lazy fucker with that stuff but <laughs> like i realized there's a there's a there's a game show uh, on 2FM. Uh, do you listen to 2FM in the mornings? Yeah. They play that clock block. I don't thing. listen to them, but I know what you're on about. It yeah. wrecks my head because no one ever wins. But Kira listens to it and she tries to answer all the answer uh, questions. And I realize that I know nothing about nothing. I can never answer. Unless it's a sporting question, I can't answer anything ever. And it's like, I know it's geography. I can't, I don't know anything about geography, anything about anything. And I realize that it's the same with grammar when I'm writing or something like that on Instagram. I have to ask Kira, like, should that be a comma? Should that be a hyphen? Should that be a whatever? And it's because anything that actually required me to listen to a teacher, I didn't listen. So I don't know the answer. But when we were going into exams in college or school, I wouldn't have listened at all for the whole year. And then I would ask my friend to like, okay, tell me everything you know about this topic an hour before the exam and then i would go in and pass the exam and he would fail yeah so yeah that was funny no um, i was very much like uh going into exams i was like i know everything that i'm gonna know by now in this hour so like i'll just have some bullet points to go through for my short-term memory because i have mm -hmm. the work done i guess but mm -hmm. i was like and i was like this as a as a player as an athlete as well I was not like sit there and listen to the teacher. I was challenged to teach. Mm -hmm. I was a, I'd say I was a nightmare to be honest to teach <laughs> and coach. Um, Cause unless you were extremely good, I would um, try to figure out how much, you know, 
and see mm-hmm. if I know more than you, even though I was fucking 16. Like, could you mm-hmm. shut up? You know nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, for, that's, a, that's a good thing. You have to challenge people. Uh, yeah, for I've sure. Done, I've done that in things I care about. Um, but I do remember challenging a teacher in transition year in school who I think about this relatively often. She said something like, who here, right? This is a random even taught to say but i can remember very vividly she said who here she was talking about music who here could live without music right and no one put up their hand and i just put up my hand i was like i could live without music i and and she lost the head on me she's like <laughs> she was like so angry at me she was like thought i was being <laughs> argumentative for the sake of it and i was like <laughs> but you know what? Words matter to me. Like when someone mm. says, could you live without music? That means to me, like, mm. if I don't have music, I am going to die, which is not the case. Yeah, uh, so for sure. Words matter. I did do. Especially in coaching and, and, and teaching. Words are incredibly important. And I think uh, that's something I've even got more conscious of since I started coaching. Um, mm-hmm. I think... Uh, I used to teach PE as well. And then I did a bit of uh, placement in schools and whatnot. And I think when I was that age of maybe 19, 20 and realizing how easily your words can be misinterpreted by younger people, that really made it like clear to me that, okay, I have to be really, really clear and explicit in everything that I am, I'm saying. And all the words that I use have an impact on whoever's in front of me. And it's something that like frustrates other coaches I'm working with or some athletes as well in relation to sometimes I'll challenge them in relation to their use of language and their negative use of language mm-hmm. and uh, how they frame things towards athletes in terms of like fear mongering other than framing an opportunity. Um, yeah. And I think that uh, eventually most of them do come around and they see my point of view. And I think there's a there's a balance to be struck for sure. But I just do think in coaching, um, unless you're at the extreme elite level, like the, and even at that level, the athlete's mindset is very, very important in regards to how they're going to perform. And I think you can not manipulate but you can impact either positively or negatively on that mindset and that's probably one of the major uh impacts you can have on performance because when they're on the field or they're playing a game you can't really do anything for them it's up to them to figure it Mm -hmm. out themselves it's Mm -hmm. what you've done in the in the build-up to that that's going to give them that's why like you know all the stuff coming out and all the people talking about the biopsychosocial model as if it's something new like <laughs> just ask look at any good coach ever and this is exactly what they were doing uh charlie francis like yeah taking control of every single thing including the pharmaceuticals in his athlete's life and taking every single thing and realizing that every word matters and you see that more than anything in the pain world it's so important and i fucking freak out i have like an existential crisis when i think about the compound effect or like the butterfly effect of how one thing can spiral you know you could say something to a kid at four years of age and that shapes their entire life and that fucking freaks me out and when i pair that idea of like that compounding either positively or negatively with 
the film Inception, which someone like can plan something in your head. Yeah. It fucks me it, on a regular basis. I'm like, oh, like what's what's what has someone said to me that impacted me? Probably a lot of, lot of stuff. And what am I saying to other people? And what, you know, you see it all the time. Peace. It freaks me out. Black swans. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can't plan for them really. And sometimes they just impact on your season as an athlete, as a player, as a team. Like, and there's very little that you can do. But all you can do is really throughout the season, you can put yourself in the best position possible by mitigating the risks of black swans impacting and that comes down to in team sports from my perspective and from my experience having players available having players feeling good and feeling confident and Mm -hmm. if you do that then you're not guaranteed that you're going to win and you're going to be successful but you there's less of a chance that you're not going to be successful if that you have more of a chance of being successful than the other way around i am interrupting the podcast just to let you guys know that the gaa game speed blueprint is available on my website if you are interested in taking your game speed ability to the next level next year it is speed change of direction agility and game speed progressions in line with my system my process that i've developed over the last couple of years it is specific to gaa players and i also include some conditioning sessions in there for improving your tolerance of high speed running uh, capacity and that extensive volume of work so if you're interested in a 16 week program that is general and it is at the moment at the price of 50.99 i'm doing a starting 15 discount and there are only eight of those spaces left so you can access that over on my website or in the show notes below but for now back to the podcast i i'm reading a book on john d rockefeller at the moment and it was it's i think it's 30 letters to his son uh that he wrote over the years and when he's 90 years of age, he's writing a letter and he's telling his son about when he was, he came from nothing and became the richest man in the world. And he's telling his son how when he was nine, he went to school and he was like literally in rags and the photographer at the school, they were taking school pictures and the photographer at the school told him that you or got him to get out of the picture. He made the picture look worse and he still referenced it at 90. He was like, this was the day I decided I'm going to be the richest man in the world. So it's like how a man that has been through everything that basically took over America is still referencing that at 90 years of age. You know, that's Not fucking but, wild. But that that does happen. Like even what we were talking about there in regards to teachers and whatnot, I remember the change in my mentality towards education and it's probably not a shock to many people listening it came out of sheer stubbornness because one of my teachers who I actually ended up getting on really well with and she was a fantastic teacher and a a really good had a really good impact on my young life and my development but she said to me when I was in either TY or fifth year because I was just one of these guys that could be intelligent or could do well but was too cool to Mm because that was that was nerdy and I didn't want to be a nerd and I know I'm not arsed. I'll just play sport and I won't really try that hard. I'll do enough to get by. And she just said to me, like she singled me out in class. She's like, Peter, like, what are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? It's like, what are you doing with your life? Like, 
And I was like, what do you mean? Because she's like, oh, you're just fucking too cool for everything. Like, oh, yeah, look, I'm cool. I'm with the lads. I'm doing all this. And I was like, I went back at her, obviously. It was like, here, look, I still get my homework done for you. It's on the desk. And it's like, yeah, but the quality of it. And then I remember in that class or after that class, I was like, screw you. I'm going to fucking ace the leaving cert now just to put it up to you. (laughs) (laughs) Two years before sitting the exam, I'm like, I'm going to do class now. So... Yeah. See, I, I would do the opposite of that. I would be like, I'm going to make your life a living hell. And I'm going to, I'm going to fail the leaving, sir, just to fucking fuck with you over that. But probably not a great idea. No. Probably not a great reaction. And then, like, I still use it all the time. Like, because you can use, like, Alex Hormozzi talks about it. You can use negative emotions positively. Mm-hmm. And, like, even as an athlete, if a coach told me they didn't think I was good at something or they didn't think I could do it, I would always be like, well, fuck you. I will yeah. do it. So, because yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, and I could, I still know in my head the coaches that have said that. And same thing in career wise, I'd say, like, I've been told by people, oh, you won't be able to to coach elite level athletes privately. Like, there's not enough athletes. Mm-hmm. Well, like, the, like, there's so many athletes and I don't need mm-hmm. to coach all of them to make mm-hmm. a living. Like mm-hmm. I do need to coach some of them really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we are. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I heard you just turned down a good job and tell us about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, tell I, us about your business, Pete, actually first, please, if you can. So okay. in terms of not like, I, as in so you make money in a few different ways you make hmm. money coaching with a team or teams yeah you make money with one-to-one athletes yeah. and do you have group training as well uh no i don't do group training i not currently anyway um i think that the team's stuff fulfills that bucket for me and then on an individual level you can make way more change within a a one-to-one now i have had small group rehab and that works better than a full team environment but not as good as one-on-one or 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 two-on-one that's not a recurring thing that's happening all the time yeah no that's just when people are out injured in the middle just happens to be yeah and look at it like it was successful this year and that like our time to get, get people back on the field was really was much shorter than previous mm-hmm. years and that's probably because of all the experience i've garnered and all of the learning that i do um but yeah so uh pd performance i started when i came back to ireland um from singapore during COVID. it's actually quite interesting i was thinking about this this morning is you've actually seen the full growth of the whole thing because do you remember when i opened the gym i'd say in the first two weeks of me opening the gym yeah i did an online consult with you for rehab because i was still playing at the time i did for my knee i remember it was your you had a, a knee and then you had a groin issue or something on the second yeah. call or something like that yeah um yeah i do and you were in some room in the gym and we were talking <laughs> about that yeah yeah so i knew that but then i think when we connected for a while i didn't i forgot that that happened <laughs> And then I knew it again. So, yeah. yeah. So I opened a gym during COVID and we ran. Terrible, COVID. terrible like, idea. Yeah. But like, as well as that, I framed it in my mind that it was actually successful because I took a wage the whole way through it. Yeah. I'm and, and like I developed so many business skills and I, I had to understand where other people were sitting at home twiddling their thumbs watching 
Tiger mm-hmm. King or whatever they were watching during Netflix. I was trying Bad to run, run a business in the hardest time period possible to run a business. So mm-hmm. like I grew a lot in that regard. Um, but then I made the decision that Ross Gray and living at home with my parents was not good for my mental health. So I said I'd move back to Dublin and I transitioned fully online. And then I came up here and I was working just in the online space. One-on-one was my only model, um, like individualized uh, best bespoke coaching. And then a call came from Thomas Davis GAA Club to work with their senior footballers. So I took it and I was with them a couple of times a week through that season. But I jumped in in the middle of the season and then it came to the end of the season and they were quite happy with me. So they wanted me to stay on for the next year. And then... uh, they asked me to run a youth development program as well. And I said yes to that. And then the hurling manager rugby was like, will you do the hurlers as well? And I was like, yes. And then the head coach of the footballers was like, the ladies are looking. And I was like, yes, I'll do it. And they're like, but you won't be able to do it. I was like, no, I'll do it. So I figured it out. So that's when the team stuff took off. Um, and I did that for a year, probably too many teams and, 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 too much work. But as we spoke about previously, it was a period of overreaching, um, and then I did that for the year. And then the following year, I started working with Ballon Tubber uh, in a remote basis with an assistant down there. So I'd go down and head up their whole athletic development program. Um, I'd go down once every six weeks and then Connor would take the rest of it. Was still working with Thomas Davis. And then the online coaching kind of transitioned into more people were like, okay, this guy has a valuable um knowledge or he has valuable information about speed development about change of direction game speed development and return to play so then people just started asking me what i do more in person so i started doing more in person um and there's not as much in person at the moment but i'm still doing some and when you do an in-person session you just realize like oh it's so much better than online like online works um, for a certain athlete that has a certain level of experience or certain needs. But like I did an in-person session yesterday with a client of mine and every single drill that we did by the end or by the time we were moving on to the next drill, she had got better at the drill that we were doing. Um, and she even said, she's like, it's so much quicker than if I'm doing it by myself and just trying to figure it out just with you observing it and then giving me cues. So I have all that going on. and then trying to do more stock programs and stuff like you do um trying to learn as much from your model without becoming your model because i'm not you um, you don't have a model i no. just do shit and see what <laughs> yeah. works so yeah do good work same same <laughs> framework i guess put good um, stuff out and things happen i guess did the online get more popular when you started doing the work with the clubs then I niched down more when I started doing that because initially I was like, I have a rugby background. So I was like, mm. I'll, I'll just do more rugby because I can coach that. I, mm. I used to coach um, in a couple of private schools in Ireland. Um, and I like, I think I'm fairly decent at rugby coaching. So I had that background knowledge. But then as I started working in the GAA, I realized like, oh my God, the GAA is like, seven years behind rugby is in terms of like implementation of snc at least it was three years ago mm-hmm. um and so a then, bigger market in ireland yeah huge market and then more gaa players were like are you working with so-and-so and i'd be like yeah and they'd be like oh will you work with me so mm-hmm. i probably did start to get more business from the online space from that as well um but it just kind of cascades like that because it's social proof 
yeah. that you're good that other people are working with you. Yeah. Um, even though that doesn't always happen, like sometimes you could be working with some really good athletes and uh, you mightn't be a fantastic coach. Mm-hmm. But maybe, look, as long as you don't do any harm, then I'm not going to shit on you. Basically, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't play into the whole S and C negativity and competition kind of stuff. I, I just don't have time for it. I am interrupting the podcast to let you guys know that I am currently full for online coaching in November. The PD Performance Premium Pack has been going from strength to strength, and we've had a load of athletes join in the last couple of months, so that is fantastic. I will be closing doors for the rest of November, but I will be reopening them in December. I'm unsure at the moment whether I'm going to be opening them to five spots or opening them to 10 spots again. It's all dependent on how much work I want to do when I'm on my travels in Australia. But if you are an athlete that is getting ready for the GAA season and is in your off season, if you've been struggling with niggly injuries that have kept you on the sideline but kind of made you available to play at the same time and you feel like you need to do an extensive return to play process then maybe it would be wise to book a call if you're interested in joining the pd performance premium pack i would advise you to get in touch sooner rather than later so drop me a message with the word premium on instagram or drop me an email at pdperformance at gmail.com if you want to grab one of those spots for now though back to the podcast i think um i do i get that question all the time like how do you build uh how do you get client even not the selling selling the stock programs is is different that's a whole different ball game that's e-commerce you're in then like which is a tricky thing but getting just getting online clients i get that question all the time and the best way i think of doing it is getting in-person clients like either mm. with a team or with people in person and just showing that i can get results in person and then it's not that big of a reach for people to think that okay he can actually help me online as well because the market is the market has already been educated that online works for a lot of people like 10 years ago that wasn't the case now the market is there people know online coaching exists and know it works pretty well so you don't need to convince people online coaching works you just need to convince people that you're a good coach yeah and I think too many people try to become an online coach without actually being a, coach a good in-person first. coach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think that a model that actually worked really well for me this year was like um, a hybrid model. So they'd come to me maybe once every five, six weeks or once a quarter. And then I'd send them away with their program. And then we do the coaching online for like a number of weeks. And then they come back for an assessment test and Mm -hmm. reassessment, a a full coaching session. And then I'd send them on their way again. And I saw people get really good results from doing that. Whereas sometimes in the online space, it doesn't work. But oftentimes the reason it doesn't work is because, well, maybe I'm biased in that regard, but people don't realize that it's important not just what you do but how you do it so they're reluctant to and don't see the value in sending video and i had a couple of instances this year where i've been working with a client for like 15 weeks or whatever and i haven't received any video even with me asking them and then they come for an in-person session and i ask them to show me a sprint or whatever and then they do and i'm like oh my god have you been doing it like that 15 weeks they're like yeah it's like Okay, well, I don't say, oh, my God, but I say, yeah. okay. In, your, well, head, maybe you, in we'll, your head, you do. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we'll try and do this or whatever. And it happened actually with uh, 
and a client who was struggling with a grade one calf injury and he had championship coming up and he had been struggling with a grade one calf for four weeks, which is way too long to be struggling with a grade one calf um, injury. And we were working in conjunction with the physio and they were giving them rehab and whatnot. Then I just said, look, you have championship in 10 days, just come up and let me look at you. Mm -hmm. And I had a look at how he was moving his foot and how he was loading um, into his foot. And then I had a look at how he was accelerating and he wasn't able to accelerate in the movement pattern that he was using prior to that. But then we refined things a little bit and gave him 10 days of return to play rehab and he played the match. No problem. Um, and look, maybe it would have happened without that, but it seems to be that how you do things and how you move does matter. It's not mm. just people don't want to believe that though. No, because that takes work. Yeah. That takes work. Like, yeah, I put up that, real there two days ago about like the neck position with hinging and mm -hmm. the amount of like caveats that i have to put in the video which I is know, like, I was i'm laughing not i'm not saying spinal flexion <laughs> is bad i'm not saying don't lunge your spine i'm not saying don't lift heavy like but if you want to get a bit more out of your hips do it this way and because people are just waiting to attack you and say like movement yeah. doesn't matter but you know what i've realized the people who say that they don't work with people who actually trying are trying to do anything with their like as in would anyone really attack Usain Bolt's sprint coach for saying I'm trying to get this little tweak in a technique or here's what we've worked on for 10 years no they wouldn't so I think these coaches who say movement doesn't matter they're not working with athletes no no probably not like realistically um or at least because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you're just trying to lift heavier weight mm. like they're not trying to work with athletes in in that they're trying to change how they actually go and move they're just like the only thing that matters is that you add five kilos in which case who cares how you do it then keep going yeah but that only applies if you're a power lifter or exactly. a weight lifter like do you, the, the question then is like are you actually trying to get them better at their sport or are you just trying to get them to lift five kilos so that they can feel a little bit more confident and you keep your job, essentially? Mm -hmm. Do you want to have a positive impact or do you want to just do no harm and not actually impact at all, just have a net zero impact? Yeah. Um, and I'm the type of person that I can't just not have an impact. Like mm -hmm. I, I have to try my best to... Um, help in some way and it's not good enough for me to just sit by and let things happen I guess um, which is to my detriment at times because sometimes I just need to shut up like yeah but you also <laughs> you also uh, like as much or more than anyone more than a lot of coaches you understand the benefits and the you understand marginal gains which is like okay amazing sprint technique is up here and you're here so a lot of coaches would say like oh it doesn't matter because they're never going to look like this <laughs> that's not the point it could be it could like if i make a small little gain that's a big deal and yeah. then i this is a medium and long-term project and it's the same what i'm talking about in the in the gym with all these movements like if you may continually make very small gains and small improvements that will add up over the time rather than continually making zero improvements are even worse getting worse over time 
we're not chasing perfect ever. We're chasing better. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that I learned probably as an athlete and as a goal kicker was a mistake of mine was. And it caused me to get better. It helped me to get better. But if the ball went over the bar for me as a goal kicker and the lads were like, good kick, Peter, I'd be like, no, it wasn't. Didn't mm. go over the black spot. We had this conversation yeah, before. Yeah, okay. I was the before. same. Yeah. yeah. And like, that was positive in a way, but like, it still counts as one, like one belly mm-hmm. goal or whatever. So I should have been just thinking like, okay, yeah, I don't know. As I said, I read Johnny Wilkinson's autobiography and I read it as the instructional manual on how to be effective. And I don't think that was effective for me at that time. Um, talk about influence, like, you know, and yeah. how it but impacts there's a, your thought there's a, there's a spectrum there, though, because I've been in that exact situation in a game mm. where I was go- I took a free, kicked a free, went over the bar, and everyone's like, oh, delighted, well done. And I know that I struck that really poorly. Not that I needed to go over the black spot, but like, I know that I didn't strike strike it well. So now when I'm taking my next one, I haven't got the confidence of that good strike in there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But even if you frame it in like teaching somebody game speed or teaching somebody to beat players, like if you look at how Ireland uh, move or how the All Blacks move to try and beat players like you don't have to actually beat the player completely it just get a weak shoulder so you get over the game Mm -hmm. now obviously not getting touched would be better than that but getting hit and putting your backside and going backwards is obviously not as good as just getting over the game line so if I teach somebody to try to beat the player completely and not get touched they're going to be more likely to get a soft shoulder and get over the game line. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to that principle with a lot of team sports. Like I know a lot of your listeners aren't all Irish. So like, but Gaelic games, like if you're good as a forward in Gaelic games, it should be a non-contact sport because you shouldn't be getting touched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. Unless you're, I don't know who, let me think of someone. Who's like an one, absolute, it, like who's what, an absolute bear that just Walter Walsh. <laughs> Walter Walsh obviously wants a bit of contact, but he wants to win the ball above you and then go go through you. But like, mm-hmm. and Aaron Galan when he gets the ball inside, yeah. nobody's yeah. touching him because yeah. he's so quick, he's so evasive, he knows where the goal is, he knows how to get around him. Yeah. Um, and those are. But he can skills. do both. Yeah. He can do both, of course. Like Conor Callahan. Like, yeah. I'm going to try and get around you. And if you make contact, I'm still going to fuck you out of the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it, for a lot of people, well, it depends. But I think it's more effective to at least try to beat the person by not mm-hmm. having any contact first before mm-hmm. having to initiate it. First, yeah. most people, unless you're a Fijian rugby player, then maybe contact is the number no, but that's, one. But that's what I mean. Like, you, you, I have, I just bring it back to a hinge, for example, because it simplifies things. But like, yeah. I have a, I have a almost in my mind like a per, an idea of what a perfect yeah uh, RDL is a perfect uh, kickstand hinge is, and I have a million little things that I could tweak. Mm-hmm. And I say to our coaches in our workshops that this this I want you to have an idea of what a really good looks like, but it doesn't mean you have to be picky and search for all these things in the beginning. You just have to pick the one thing that's stopping them doing it just be- a bit better than it is right now so that's the same with change of direction like i want i know or you know like what all of these little small details are because i think a coach needs to know that but you just needed to be then to to pick the detail that is 
just enough, a simple enough detail to help it be better than they are right now. But if you don't know all of those things as a coach, then it's very hard to pick the thing. If you only ever have one cue for change of direction, you're always just going to give that one cue no matter what. Yeah, but then you don't have a technical model because that ideal is your technical model. Exactly. It's one thing (laughs) or nothing. Yeah. It's just do it faster. Yeah, exactly. And and get closer to perfect, even though knowing that perfect is unattainable or optimal, Mm -hmm. the word that the buzzword everybody hates in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, But you have to chase that, especially in return to play, because a lot of the time, not all of the time, but a lot of the time, these issues aren't solved by just getting stronger. Sometimes they are. But mm-hmm. a lot of the time they're not. And that's typically who ends up coming to me for return to play are the ones that are like, I'm actually really strong. Like, I feel like I'm quite reactive, but I still keep pulling my hamstring. Like, what yeah. is happening? And then you look at them and how they're moving and you're like, OK, I think we can refine this and then we'll just see what happens and see if you start to feel better. And a lot yeah. of the time it does happen. Um, like and you have direct experience, obviously, from from me coming down with Killian this year and and him feeling good about how he's moving and yeah. feeling good from doing something slightly different um and that's everything i guess is mm-hmm. is is getting the athlete to feel good in themselves and then obviously trying to impact on their efficiency and their effectiveness in mm-hmm. whatever way you can I think, I think what's missed with that thought process for people who are critical of like that technical model is it's also if you want to just not say like if you want to just strip away all the technique stuff and say it's actually just graded exposure then yeah we're just we're we're doing change direction work we're sprinting it's just so happening that i'm picking out something and trying to tweak this thing but i'm still i'm not i'm not talking so much that they're not doing it they're still doing the movement yeah so you're not you're there is i don't think there's any loss there no and you figure out as well like it it's all graded exposure really like because you're trying to decrease stress so that you can increase the chances that they're going to be successful so that they can improve their decision-making process. Because if you've Mm -hmm. too much stress on the system, then it's unlikely that they're going to make, or it's less likely that they're going to make the correct decision at the correct time. Um, So progressing intensity, and it's a conversation to have with with Graham and Graham's uh, presentation on DGR Interactive, like it's progressing intensity, it's progressing complexity, it's like all of these things are trying to expose the athlete to more and more stress, I guess, and get mm-hmm. them resilient enough and capable enough to tolerate that stress and still make the correct decision and move in a manner that is close to perfect, but not perfect, obviously. Mm-hmm. Better. Yeah, better. Yeah. Um, what you learned this year about uh, late stage rehab? Um, What's the biggest things? I think I think the major influence on me this year was obviously Alan Murdoch, who's been on the podcast and, and his uh, Speedworks are now Elevate Performance Mentorship. I think what I learned the most this year was systemizing things. Like I had a system, but I think I wasn't focused enough on how athletes transition through the system with effective queuing and individualized queuing. I was more like, okay, you've passed this stage. Now I'm going to graduate you to this stage. But I wasn't as worried in the past of how they were progressing or how they were moving 
from stage to stage. Whereas Alan gave me confidence in relation to my coach and I that I did, didn't really know that I had. I knew I could kind of see things, but I wasn't sure if I was correct in what I was seeing. So then mm-hmm. I was more reluctant to cue athletes and to change things because I didn't want to fuck things up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from the few weeks going over and back to Bath with Alan, he was telling me, he's like, no, like, you're right. Like Now, obviously, he was able to simplify it at the time a lot and still a lot quicker than I was able to simplify it. But he was like, you know, I'm seeing that too. And sometimes he was like, that's actually interesting. I see that now, but I didn't see that before. And that's mm-hmm. where coaching eye is in- extremely valuable. So I'd say I honed my coaching eye. And then I also developed systems for the very different for very different um, injuries, um, just from potentially from more learning, potentially from more confidence, and definitely from more exposure to more different athletes and different mm-hmm. issues and figuring it out as I go. But it didn't just happen this year as well. It, it's happened over the last three years. It's just maybe come together a little bit this year, hit yeah. home a little bit more, you know? Yeah. When you when you say like uh, systemize it and focus in on things, do you mean well i know what you mean but do do you mean that when you identify something you're not just like okay i'll just do this exercise and then progress on to the next thing you're like you're not happy to ch- you're trying to milk out that thing and actually change it rather than yes. just tick the box exactly I, I i don't just go oh that's sore or that's not working okay let's put in this exercise back then maybe in the last few years I was more focused on what we were doing rather yeah. than how we are doing. Yeah. Whereas this year I have honed in and probably from going to the workshop with you and from just conversing with you and, and looking at your stuff and being on DGR Interactive, I've refined my coach and I to a stage where I am now confident I could probably go into a, an hour and a half long session with an athlete and just do three exercises and achieve mm-hmm. real positive change. Whereas before I went over to Alan, I think my return to play process, my rehab process, my training process as a whole, I was trying to fit too many things into a session. Whereas he was like, showed me what he was doing with professional athletes. And I was like shocked at how little volume they were doing and how little variety they were doing in that session. Now he was changing the following session and he was adding more load in terms of the intensity, the variability and the complexity in the following session, but it's okay to start where we are and just actually hone in on improving what we're doing. And that's Mm -hmm. what I talked about in my individual or one-on-one session yesterday was we didn't go through bags of stuff, but everything that we did, we improved from start to finish of that drill or that exercise or whatever. Um, So that's probably the major change. I I couldn't agree more on that. Anyone who's ever seen me coaching will recognize that as well i think that when we like we have a good coach's eye or we're trying to develop a good coach's eye we're trying to assess things not for the sake of assessing it mm-hmm. if we're looking at stuff we're actually looking we're not being picky but when we find a a big elephant that we're tr- going to address you're not allowed i say to my clients you're not allowed to come back to me we've identified like you need to work on this you're not allowed to come back to me and we just progress on to something else if you're still shit at it because if you're still shit at it it means you haven't actually done what i said you haven't as in like you haven't even practiced it, you haven't done your homework so i'm i milk the shit out when we uh, identify something it's not a box ticking exercise it needs to get better 
or other it's the 80 20 rule like 80 percent of your results are going to come from 20 percent of your your stuff so i would rather spend 80 percent of my time on that 20 percent of things rather than 20 percent of my time just coaching a bit of everything and not having a clue what helped or actually a lot of the time nothing helps then because people just always move the way they always move absolutely and i think as well as that in terms of systemizing and what i was systemizing i systemized my thought process yeah so and i've been doing a mentorship with peter hughes as well who's a great uh rehab coach a great physiotherapist mm. and snc coach he's gone to new zealand he's in new zealand yeah mm. and he's helping in that regard as well but he, like we had the conversation last week in regards to the systems that you use and the thought processes that you use and actually understanding I did understand before going over and doing the mentorship with Alan, projection switching and reactivity, but I didn't know potentially or I didn't understand in enough detail what leads into each of them. So now when I look at an athlete sprinting or moving, I will think, okay, how's their projection? How's their switching? How's their reactivity? And then I will know what bleeds into each of them or what are the uh, the the physical qualities and the technical qualities that bleed into good projection, bleed into good switching and bleed into good reactivity. And then I will think about, okay, which of those does it look like could be improved here? And also which of them looks good? Because I always like to frame things with the athletes in terms of, okay, this is what I'm seeing. This is what you're doing really, really well first. Mm -hmm. So, because sometimes when with some athletes, if you speak to them and you're always giving them, constructive things and things to work on they think they're useless yeah or they <laughs> just like there's someone who has to be a perfectionist like where it's <laughs> like some people that we've seen like i'm gonna do everything now you know yeah. i'm gonna do everything so much of everything uh so it's that yeah that middle ground you know that slide i put up a slide in the workshop at the very start of our assessment section uh a video of a person doing a ski arc and i say what can you see to people like before we start looking at assessments in terms of toe touches and all this look at this movement what can you see and everyone always picks out like the bad stuff yeah and i always come back and say no what does it look like he's happy to do well like what does it look what does move don't just say what doesn't move you know when you ask those questions though i find everybody thinks you're looking for the bad stuff i know but everyone is always <laughs> looking for bad stuff yeah. when they see movement not like all the great stuff you're doing it's so Which funny is... though when you're coaching an athlete and I'll say to them after a rep, as I always pretty much do, how'd that one feel? And they're mm -hmm. like, uh, good. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah it looked pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're waiting for you to be like, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But sometimes you do move really well and give yourself a pat on the back and congratulate yourself when that happens. Like, Yeah, I think everything is good. As in like, even that word compensation I just call it a strategy or an amplification of what mm. you're doing, which is like, good, if you didn't do that, if you didn't have all this tension in this area, if you don't, didn't after your ACL, like your, your knee didn't just completely lock up, like you would have hurt it again. So yeah. that's a great strategy for a certain time. Now let's maybe let's change it now. Try and refine but, it a little bit yeah. or get a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh... I don't know, just get a little bit better at the end of the day. That's what all we're trying to do is trying to help mm -hmm. you get better. But yeah, mm -hmm. so that's what, that's my job, I guess, uh, in a nutshell. But did, uh, you, did you start to, when you say systemize things, like did you start to 
write out like rough templates of stuff for different injuries? I did, and I kind of had that done for a couple previously, a couple of the injuries. Mm -hmm. And I actually refined my systems for some of them because... I had to for hamstring rehab because in the GAA, that's pretty much like, I think 66% of injuries in GAA are hamstring injuries. It's something really? ridiculous. Fuck. Like, um, so like, that's what I see a lot of, but the benefit to that is I've got really, really good at hamstring exactly. return to play. Exactly. Um, you can make a lot of money just on hamstrings if you want. Just absolutely. Only hamstrings. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, for ankle and Achilles and then, for ACL, I had one done previously as well, but I refined that one after working with Alan as well and probably refined the middle to end stage with the work that Alan does because that's a lot of what he does too. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just invaluable. And that's the val value of mentorships, which I mm -hmm. always bang my drum about. Like you have mm -hmm. to have people to learn from. And it doesn't need to be formal all the time as well. Sometimes it's informal. Mm -hmm. Like it's like it's like me and you. Do you ever after the after the uh, workshop, I was like, okay, so when's the mentorship coming? When when <laughs> when am I doing that? You're like Pete, like you don't need to do it. Like <laughs> you've done you, you've done it all with me. You're good. <laughs> Just fucking go forward and conquer. Yeah. Um, yeah what um what's the story now so you just rejected the ireland rugby job and you're going to no, become a full-time full-time influencer no it wasn't the ireland rugby job but somebody <laughs> did message me during the week and say i love gaa influencers like yourself and i had to correct them <laughs> and say, i'm not an influencer you are an i know influencer. i am I, I know i know your framework on that and i agree with it but it is i'm right you're it, in a you're having an influence you yes, need to embrace yes. that but I prefer. I know you do embrace it. Yeah, I no, I prefer the mental framework of being a coach. So when I go in as a creator, because I am a yeah. content creator, I prefer taking the mental or the mindset that okay, how, what am I going to coach somebody through watching this piece of content or mm -hmm. from consuming this piece of content? Mm -hmm. I think that's really effective. Whereas. I am trying to influence them, but sometimes influencers and that connotation is it's about me. Whereas yeah. as a coach, it's never about you. It's about the athlete. It's about the problem and it's about the solution. Yeah. Um, so I prefer I, that. When I'm online, I just cons I think of it as an educator um, or a coach, but mostly an educator. But just when I say that about influencer, that's to get back at the people who call you an influencer, other coaches. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, just because you can't have any influence because yeah. no one likes you, yeah. like you call me an influencer. You'd love to have some influence, but you fucking, you've the charisma of my toenail over there. Yeah. So, but sometimes over, they're actually in... not over there, my toenail that's on my body. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it's a, it's a confidence thing with them that they're, they're afraid to be called wrong or that mm -hmm. somebody will perceive something like you said they're going to pick apart what you've said and whatnot yeah. but that like because just because i'm saying this is the way it is doesn't mean that it can't also be other things like two yeah. things can be true like uh but yeah so i did i turned down a, an inter-county job even though it was a good opportunity and i would have been a good fit for the role and the role would have been potentially a good fit for me too but it was just at the wrong time and I've been going hell for leather for like three years. Like, and I don't think I know any different, but they wanted me to start whilst the club season was still going on. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't think I'll be able to do that because I'd be just rolling straight into that. 
and then going the whole way through until August next. And it's not so much even the workload, but it's the having to get to know so many new athletes, figure out what makes them tick, figure out how to get through to them, um, how to change culture, because that was going to be needed in this environment um, and have a positive change. And then I was going to have to say no to other opportunities that I could still um, partake in was working privately and still achieve like real positive change. Like, so I decided to say no to that. And I am coming to Sydney or going down to Sydney on the 22nd of November. Um, I don't know how, for how long, but I'll be able to keep going all of my online business that I'm doing and maybe some Mm -hmm. in-person stuff over there. I'm going to meet some really cool people and going to keep the podcast going, keep creating content and keep achieving change, positive change in the industry. Um, And, and like I was chatting to uh, Sammy Dowlin, who's over the Dublin ladies, and, and he was giving me advice. And he said, a younger Sammy would say, take the job. It's a good job. But an older Sammy says, there'll always be jobs available. And yes. just because you say no to this one doesn't mean that there won't be another one down the line. And yes. 100%. I, think he, he, I hope he's right. He's, of course he's right. There's no, there is, this is not a... Uh mystical magical thing that happened that you were offered a good job it's like Mm. it's the result of several years of hard work and not just with your teams but with your content with your podcasts with your online clients all of that has compounded and you've put yourself in a position where you've built a very very strong brand Mm. in the industry like in the ga circles very strong brand and that's not that doesn't go away overnight like how many episodes of your podcast have you done uh, 128, I think. So there's probably a hundred hours of content there, of audio content, yeah. something give or take. Like that's not going away. No. And that's obviously you're going to keep adding to that. There's all these athletes that have had positive experiences. There's all these videos. There's all this working with teams and all this stuff. Like that doesn't just go away. And even if it did go away, guess mm. what? Oh, I want to get a good job. What am I going to do? Just get back at it again yeah whenever you want it you just okay i'm just gonna do this again people ask me all the time like if you were starting again what would you do just like same fucking thing again yeah (laughs) you know so you luckily you won't have to start again but a lot of it comes down to i had this conversation with brand actually with peter uh hughes and like brand isn't only like what's visible and what's in front of people online like brand is your positive word of mouth yeah, it's what they, people think of when they hear your name. Yeah, exactly. So like if I was doing all of that, but my coaching was dog shit and I didn't care about people and treated people badly, then my brand wouldn't be strong. Like no, although no, I'd no. have a presence, people would just call it out and say it's bullshit Like, because he treats people like shit. Um, so like it comes down to what we were talking and joking about earlier. Just do good work, put mm-hmm. good stuff out, and then good things happen. You can, mm-hmm. but the the value of building a presence online is it is a portfolio, like you've said, that people can reflect on. And then, as well as that, if you have a good online presence, when people think about who they're going to work with, you're front of mind because you've built this brand identity online. That's a strong brand identity, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Whereas and now you have you have options now you have options you can go there you can what you can keep your online stuff going you can add on another thing or whatever you have you have options you're not you're not desperate which is a 
Yeah, exactly. really nice place to be. Leverage, have leverage. Leverage, yeah, that's the word. That's the word. How um, how do you logistical question? How do you onboard clients? So, can you take me through a process of when someone applies to work with you online? Like, how does that process go from when you get a message or an, in- an email to when they actually start working? Uh, because we're just thinking of getting a bit of late stage like getting people signing up for like late stage like three month stuff and stuff like that at the moment which is what we've been missing just because i'm too busy and alice is probably too busy so alice is very busy i was talking to her for the first time i know last she week. is <laughs> i know she is but she's so, so busy because she's good same exactly, thing with you exactly um so onboarding they'll reach out to me on instagram typically or on email uh we'll have a conversation in regards to what the issue is and what they believe they need and then if what they believe they need and if i if i feel i have the skill set to at least have positive impact and manage or try to find a solution to their issue then we'll jump on a call um, they'll book a call in my calendar. I have an automated booking system for that, and then they'll, they'll jump in, book a call. We'll have a conversation. They've uh, form fill out prior to that with any information that I'll need. Um, I'll ask them about their history, about what they've been doing, about uh, if they've what they've tried and whatnot. But mainly, I'm just listening to them and and finding out more about the issue, and then a lot about their mindset in regards to it and if they actually have a growth mindset. But mm-hmm. typically the people that are on a call with me will have a growth mindset because they've reached out. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're a good fit, not all the time, like sometimes people aren't a good fit and sometimes they need someone that's more early stage. So I actually, a couple of my athletes have said to me in the last, say, three months, they've been like, you have a really strong network of people that you can send people out to if needs mm-hmm. be um and then i'll send them to them first um but if they are a good fit then they might sign up for coaching i because the onboarding process and getting people upskilled in regards to everything um takes a decent amount of time as well as writing the whole program out to structure into their structure and fit their schedule i do only take on a certain amount of people per week per month and mm-hmm. most uh, online coaches, as you know, will have five spots um, available. Always five. Or two. <laughs> so, uh, some people only ever have two available. Yeah. Whereas I figured out that two people a week is probably the max that I can do to a really high quality. I have onboarded like more than that per week, um, but it impacts more negatively on my energy. So then mm-hmm. I like to only do two per week. Um so then I'll get them to send me video typically because a lot of my stuff is return to play or it's speed and change of direction or their pain is oncoming because they're still able to play, but they're yeah. playing in pain. So Injured, get, but not really. Yeah. So I'll get them to, to send me a 10, a 20 meter sprint. Um, I'll get them to do uh, a 180 degree turn, like a 10, five. Um, and then potentially if they're capable of doing it but not often if it's like an injury an acute injury or persistent i'll get them to do a 10 meter fly as well and mm-hmm. i get a fair overview of how they move as an athlete based off of that yeah. um 
after they've done that, then I will ask them about their schedule and whatnot, write the whole program, send through a Loom video on the whole program and the overview of how to do things and when to do them. And then we'll converse on WhatsApp and they'll send me video or they can upload video to Team Builders where I write all of the programs as well. Um, and then they can book a check-in call every week if they want to review video or to go through just habits and whatnot. But typically, most of them probably go once a fortnight or I find the female athletes much more um, attuned to jumping on calls, whereas the male athletes are just, they'll drop <laughs> off the face of the earth for four weeks. And then I'll text them and be like, oh, no, yeah, I did everything. I just didn't text Ladies you. just love you, Pete. <laughs> 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 I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Um, do they have to sign up for a, a minimum amount of time? Uh, so I run it in five, 10 or 20 week blocks typically, okay. but it's all about like, you know, yourself in terms of injury timelines, um, certain injuries or certain issues, I will say to them, I'd be like, look, the stage you're at now and how you're moving or whatnot, I think potentially we could get this sorted in maybe eight to 10 weeks or whatever. Um, yeah. they can sign up for five and then. You see, I offer them options to pay in installments. So mm -hmm. oftentimes if they want to upgrade after a certain amount of time, I'll say, look, you can upgrade. And then for like clients that are in the service, I offer like a referral scheme. So they get a discount if they want to continue signing up or if they want to sign up um, before they're actually due to sign up for a new program, then I'll offer yeah. another discount as well. Just because okay. if you're working with people, it's easier to continue working with those people because they know how the system works. Whereas, as yeah. I said, the onboarding process and educating them on or giving them the information on how to do things is time consuming. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's our probably our next thing. It's like I, I refer out to a lot of people um, when someone is finished their rehab with us. And obviously, I haven't been taking on many clients for a couple of years now, but I refer on, depending on who they are, if they're in America and they're a footballer or a basketballer or they're a GA player or whatever the hell, I have different people that I'll send them to. Um, but, and that works really well. And I really like, I love doing that. I love being able to like set them free where it's like, you don't need us. You just need to go and train in whatever the hell way. If we've done our job well, you go and train whatever the hell way you want. But some people really just love the training that we, we do and they want to keep going. And I think we are underserving some people in that regard. So that's a part of our coaching, but I have to hire someone to do that. I can't try and take that on myself. It's just too much. Um, so it's just, I've just been thinking about how to get that to happen. And I think it would just probably take a good bit of time to get set up. But once it was set up and I had the right person, it would probably work pretty well. But that's, I listened to the podcast actually on that and that's what I was thinking myself as well in terms of I have good I have good affiliates or, or physios and physical therapists and what to refer out to and they will um, send me a comprehensive review of whatever the issue is if it's an acute stage of injury and then mm -hmm. we'll work together but it's still because they're not they're affiliates and they're not working under the brand or they're not employed by PD performance 
it's limited. Whereas if mm-hmm. I was working with a physio or in conjunction with or in collaboration with them, it would probably be even better because the process would be more streamlined. It wouldn't be yeah. email to email. It would be, I'm just going to walk down the hall in whatever yeah. office and talk to this person about this. And it'll yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. So that's part part of like our new gym and our new space is hopefully going to have someone there. Just get just get an SNC in who's happy to do um just a, a bit of everything, a mix of in person and online. And I would be happy to spend money on like really good kit in the gym mm-hmm. then in that case where I'd have like get some nice force plates in, get some nice whatever's in. But at the moment, the reason I haven't like got that stuff is one, I don't have that much of a need for it. I don't feel I don't feel like I'm missing out on stuff. When I need to get someone all their testing done, I'll just send them off to get it done. And two, it fucking wrecked my head just having to like actually take the time to do reports and look at stuff. Um and I just don't have that time. So I don't I think, think I you need, need that good. much though, realistically as well. And all No, I don't think so no. either. But but if there was something that I felt would be beneficial for for the gym, I've always had the mindset of like, we'll buy we'll buy any equipment that we need, we'll buy any coaching that we need, I'll go to any seminar, no matter where in the world it is, if it's beneficial. Yeah. Definitely. You know, so But for my stuff and from my experience when like I use the stuff that I have um with the RTP and with the testing and assessment and whatnot, there'll always be something you're like, Oh, that could be useful in some regard, but like would be nice, but not a must. Yeah. But like I so we've the gates, we've GPS and we have an output device for measuring like their jumps and everything basically. Output's great, a great device, like it's really useful. Mm-hmm. Um the only thing that I would probably say would be would add to that and not take away by being too many things is probably force plates. Um yeah. and like you don't need any of those things, but it's just useful in terms of you can show the athlete that they're progressing and what they're outputting. Like on the GPS, I've had conversations with um, my coworkers and whatnot when uh, I've been doing something with an athlete in terms of return to play, like a specific drill, like on the DGR Interactive, my presentation, the frontside dribble bleeds. Um, And my assistants have been looking at me and being like, what the hell is he doing this for? And then we come back in and we pull the GPS data and they're like, oh my God. Like they've got up to serious intensity there and they've got a load of high speed running in in terms of volume. And mm-hmm. you've done it in, in a way in terms of graded exposure where the athlete hasn't felt that risk. Whereas if I ask yeah. that athlete to sprint because they have such fear of re-injury, they're probably not going to sprint. And they're also going to probably have a bias towards the uninjured limb. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas you've done it without them recognizing it just by progressing the intensity over time and progressing the velocity over time. And that's the same 100%. thing with the four stacks and, and the jumps and all that. It's like mm-hmm. sometimes an athlete will say, oh, I feel like I'm not, I feel like I'm not making any progress. But if you have the numerical value, like the quantitative yeah. value, you can say, well, look, this is what it is now. And this is what it was. And yeah. it can be useful in that regard. Yeah, exactly. It can, u- it can be useful to, for two things <laughs> in that regard. You can actually speed people up. So you can sit like, they feel like I'm not ready for what I'm doing. Yeah. And you're like, you can actually show them like, look, you've already pretty much done that. It just in a different way or it can slow them down which is like you're not ready for this oh <laughs> i've know? had to slow them down from time to time like <laughs> this year like one athlete mm-hmm. in particular like that he like he's the guy you want on your team 
like he is just like win at all costs like i won't be stopped but like we it, have a word for that <laughs> dog yeah yeah dog like, <laughs> but like he had a really bad hamstring injury and he was still moving like let's say abnormally far away from the technical model and a, a good deal away from how he was moving when he was uninjured um mm-hmm. and he he was positively like confident that he was ready to go back into a full championship game that weekend uh and i said well look i don't think you are but i can't stop you but this is what i would recommend you do in this training session and get through um and then he's gone and done it and he's pulled out after 10 15 minutes because he's like that's kind of it's kind of just a bit at me i'll just come out you know like (laughs) kind of not want to let on that you were right but then you pull the data from the GPS and you show him what velocity he got up to and he knows his max velocity and he knows yeah. how many sprints he gets through or accelerations in a game and you show him, look, this is a hamstring tendon issue and you have done your best there to not decelerate whatsoever the whole mm-hmm. team session. So I think maybe Saturday or Sunday is a bit far away from you. So it can be used in that way as well, I guess. Um, 100%. Uh, what's the plan in Australia? Uh the plan is I have a place in Bondi Beach with one of my good friends already sorted. Nice. Um, good. So I'm moving in there in the 23rd. Uh, my in- favorite place. Yeah. I can't wait. I love it. I fucking love it. I loved it because I is such a buzz there. I know it's a bit of a cliche. Like there's pre- maybe nicer parts of the eastern suburbs, but there's such a buzz there. There's you get up at five o'clock in the morning. Every coffee shop is open. People are walking, running, surfing, swimming, everything. And also, I knew no one. So I just used to, every night, like 10 o'clock at night, I'd just go for a walk around Bondi Beach. The place is buzzing. And you could be just wearing a plastic bag, like, and no one gives a shit. I love it. It's like Venice Beach almost in LA, kind of. Like. Yeah, I've never been there, but Bondi is class. But yeah, so I'm moving in with him. And then I've been chatting to a couple of athletes over there from the AFL and AFLW and the plan is I'm going to go on a bit of a podcast tour when I'm over there just keep creating good content for people and giving an insight into what it's like for an Irish athlete over there or an Irish coach as well um, yeah. we're still doing all the online stuff and still working with people and then like there's a good network of really good coaches out there that I know um, and I can't wait to connect with in person because as you know as well online is great but like in-person connections are even better like it's why i do the the majority of the podcast in in person it's because the conversation is better if you don't immediately know the person like i suppose Mm -hmm. i think Ah, it's always better yeah it's always better it's so much better um yeah i actually have uh, an irish afl player coming down to me tomorrow um so if you don't have that person lined up for a podcast I can help maybe. Fantastic. Uh, depends if you do or not. Yeah. So I'll let you know. So I need to obviously have a couple of trips though when I'm down there. So I'm going to plan a trip to Melbourne. I'll have to link mm-hmm. up with Jamie um, for sure. Mm, yeah. um, and I'm going to plan a trip to Brisbane as well, I think. Um, yeah. And yeah, it'd be great because obviously Sydney is mainly rugby league, like even though the Swans are there and then... Um, GWS giants are nearby as well. And then I suppose yeah. when I go down, I, I'll have to link up with, with Lockie and some of those really good coaches, obviously, at Athletes Authority. I'll try and get in and just even do a bit of shadowing. Because that's yeah. one thing that frustrates me about the industry is I always say to people, 
like younger coaches or even peers that are like, oh, we should meet up for a coffee. I'll say, just come out to one of our training sessions, like, and be a yeah. fly on the wall. And it's so yeah, valuable. Yeah, coffee, like, just yeah. come and watch me work or, or help, come and hang out me, or like, Yeah, help, like, yeah. yeah. And nobody does it. Everybody says, yeah, 100%. But there's yeah. very few coaches do it. Some do. But then whenever I'm offered a job or somebody's looking for somebody that they're like, I need somebody to fulfill this role, those people that have come out and shadowed and actually showed an interest in self-development and improving those are the people that come to my mind and i recommend mm-hmm. them immediately 100 mm-hmm. percent. when someone asks me for a coffee like it's just no <laughs> um <laughs> but i've actually had some coaches loads of coaches who book in an hour of my time online or in person come down saying like i have an issue i which is, i didn't know and then they come down and they like do kind of spend 20 minutes talking about their knee and then they just like just pepper me with questions for the next yeah, half yeah. an hour and um not that i not that i want or need that or like i'm going to take money for someone's time or whatever if they just want to ask questions but i respect it i'm like yeah yeah you found a way to but how get your much how answered. much how much better is it like that couple of hours we spent coaching together down there like that was yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, fun exactly. like do you yeah. know, because we were both problem solving and both figuring out yeah. indirectly bits about the other person's process and whatnot. Yeah, and exactly. gaining a little bit. Exactly. But something. that's um, that's why all these arguments online that happens, constant arguments, constant bickering, online just brings out the worst in people. Yeah. If you and I, like in another world, you and I could just have a massive argument online and disagree on some the smallest bullshitty thing ever, and then. If we were in the gym together, we'd be like, yeah, I agree with like 98.7% of the stuff that you're saying. So, yeah. But that's like the podcast we recorded where we had the argument about, what was it, being realistic and being positive. (laughs) And like, I... I suppose I'm more towards the positive side of the spectrum. So my optimistic. Yeah, optimistic. Sorry. So my thought process was that the positive thing has a chance of happening even if it's less likely to happen. So it's more positive for my mindset to focus on the positive happening rather than worrying about the negative happening, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I I completely got your perspective on it as well in terms of the realistic mindset. I think, okay, we're probably saying the same thing, but I think being realistic should lead you to be optimistic yes which is a weird thing to say but like if you look at the world over the last 200 years it's gotten a lot better Mm -hmm. even though people always think it's worse yeah it's gotten a lot better so to me just being realistic is yeah like things are going to keep getting better because that's statistically true but i see a lot of people who are big optimists in clinic and they're just they're just idiots like because they just can't actually accept where i am right now so yeah but it's like it might happen but it also might not happen but like Mm -hmm. as you said the realistic mindset like take an example okay maybe bad example because it didn't happen but the irish rugby team went over to france with the mindset that we can or we could win this world cup but that's being realistic yeah it is yeah that's what i'm saying but Mm -hmm. but they're being realistic and in turn, it's leading them to be more optimistic about their chances. Yeah. Whereas in the past, I'm sure 
Irish teams have gone to a World Cup and in the back of their head they've been saying there is not a fucking chance in hell. And they, like <laughs> we still went down the quarterfinals, so but, it doesn't matter. But there's there's never a, there's zero case for being pessimistic. Yeah, there's absolutely. no there's no there's literally well there is a case in nature like that that kind of story of okay I hear a rattling in a bush yeah and I run away. And yes, a pe- being pessimistic there is a good thing because even if it wasn't yeah. a tiger, you're still alive. Yeah. So, but it's only yeah. advantageous to a point. Yeah, exactly. It's protective, like all the time. But if you're constantly protective, you're not likely to gain anything new. Like. Yeah. So. But if you're optimistic there, you're going to end up dying. Yeah. The tiger's <laughs> going to get you sooner. <laughs> you yeah. never think it's a tiger. It's like if you're making a business decision, constantly making decisions based on, oh, sure, it's grand. I'll be a millionaire. Just spend, spend, spend on all these tools like we we're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, mm-hmm. But like realistically, the best way to, for a business to function and continue functioning is to continue being in the green, like and not being in the red. That's a good way. Yeah. That's a good way. Um, yeah. Okay, P. Thank you very much. Uh, is there somewhere people can go or where should they go to find you? Uh, Instagram is probably the best place. Bondi Beach. Bondi Beach. They'll, yeah. see, they'll see you at the bars fucking doing your pull-ups. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yep, yeah, at PD Performance on Instagram and uh, on everything else as well, on Twitter as well. I'm PD Perform 9, I think. Uh, check out my presentation for DGR Interactive if you haven't already. Um, SP. And then... Obviously, the PD Performance Podcast, we actually have had our most successful two weeks of the podcast on record in the last two weeks, which is class. Nice. Um, so hopefully Boy. more things to come. Um, I think the content has leveled up a bit, thanks to Ryan Proctor giving us a, a hand in regards to um, the video and whatnot. As well as that, we've had some really, really good guests with really high quality content in terms of the content of the actual conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I would say it probably was quite interesting to people that I turned down the intercounty job on that solo episode. So they were like, this fella must be mad that he's turned that down. So they wanted to I don't to think listen. anyone would think that. Not, want to be some idiot to Not think that. after listening to it. Yeah, but yeah, okay. before that, you'd be like, well, other athletes have said to me, like my own athletes, like, is your aspiration to like coach an intercounty team? So mm-hmm. like I, I would have an aspiration, not even an aspiration. I would like to that challenge one day. So I think people were interested in that um, as well. And yeah, I don't know. Everything's growing, I suppose. All the socials have been going well. Um, so I suppose it's am just... I in the, am, I, am I still in the top guests? You're you're probably after dropping down significantly, oh, I'll be honest. I have to give my episode a bump. Uh, um, yeah, I think our last... Of our last three podcasts, two of them are in the top three or the top five ever. Oh. You're not even in the top five anymore, Dave, oh, I think. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Come on. Are you in the top ten? Yeah. No. Am I not? I think I think you're out of top 10 <laughs> fuck is McGurn in the top 10 McGurn's number one oh McGurn <laughs> you fucking prick yeah yeah and he'll let you know about it as well so he went for old uh-huh. McCabe keeps sharing his one to try and get up to Dara's one but then everybody that hasn't listened to Dara's is like oh that oh. must be really good I'll listen to that one as well he's just promoting McGurn <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, but we'll say, also actually, I better say, um, I have a new podcast 
coming out tomorrow with oh. Mr. McGurn and Mr. O McCabe as well. Oh, cool. Um, so that's called the backdoor cut. And by the time this goes out, I'm sure the first episode will be out. It's kind of an inside look at. Oh, sorry, a, a new podcast. Yes, complete new podcast. Complete sorry, new podcast. Not, a new, not a new episode. Oh, cool. And it's more of an insight into the life of an intercounty GAA athlete. Um, from what the, are you doing on it? I like I'm <laughs> it, basically. I'm just <laughs> facilitating, <laughs> facilitating. But yeah, so. I suppose it was my idea to kind of get the guys together and they thought oh, they thought it was a good idea, but maybe they were a little bit reluctant to go doing a podcast having not had that much experience. So I'm just sitting there asking questions really, Dave. Are you doing it in person? We, we've recorded four episodes in person, yeah. Oh, cool. And we have a very special guest coming in two weeks' time who you also know. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, it's gonna it? be good. I'll tell you. Tell me. No, it's going to be a surprise. I'll tell you after, but I'll not tell you. Announce it on the DGR podcast. Um, uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. So, okay, PD cool. Performance um, signing out. And okay. thanks, Dave. Thanks for everything. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Pete. Uh, I will talk to you next time. McGurn, fuck you. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>